I was out uh, early the other day around 6.15, I think. I drove up the hill there at camp, and I passed a friend of mine. He's in his 90s. He was out walking, and uh, he was singing as I pulled up beside him. He was singing a hymn, and uh, as I was looking at those lyrics this morning, you know, building my life around the firm foundation, what a privilege it is to uh, drill this stuff into our spirit. And uh, boy, when you, when you keep drilling it in on a weekly basis and you put the good stuff in, you uh, learn to sing the songs of the kingdom, and you fill your heart up with the ways of God, and you kind of get used to orienting your life around Him, then when the going gets tough, you have what you need. And... Uh, this guy was just uh, at 91, I think, continuing to remind himself that God is our fortress and he's worthy of our trust. Um, we're kind of in, a, in between a couple of series. If you were with us in June, you know Pastor Brent was uh, taking us into Knowing God. It was a fantastic series and he's ramping up for a new series on prayer in August and we're we're going back to Mark again here for a few weeks. It's one of those uh, elongated series that we keep picking up and working our way through that amazing book. And uh, we're going to be there this morning. It is in many respects very familiar ground to a lot of people, but there's something about the Gospels that never cease to amaze and uh, kind of the meat and potatoes of the Scripture. I want to start with a, a quote that's kind of troubling to me, just to kind of launch us into where I'd like to take you this morning. It's a quote by a guy by the name of James Dobson, who wrote a book called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And he says this, the greatest frustration, I think you've got it there, the greatest frustration is knowing that he created the entire universe by simply speaking it into existence, and he has all power and all understanding he could rescue he could heal, he could save, but why won't he do it? This sense of abandonment is a terrible experience for someone whose entire being is rooted in the Christian ethic. Satan then drops by for a little visit and whispers, he is not there, you're alone. I had a man by the name of Dr. Ron Mitchell that took me under his wing when I was in my early 20s, gave me my first real job, and uh, hung out. I had the privilege of hanging out with him a while. I hung out with him on one stormy day heading over to Gramanan Island. Anybody been there to Gramanan? Well, we were on the old Gramanan ferry, and man, it was a rough day. And I don't know whether the new boats have this, but back then, uh, all the chairs in the cafeteria had this kind of thick rope that went down and key locked into a lock on the floor. And so when the ship was rolling like this, the chairs could only drift like four or five inches this way and then four or five inches this way. And of course, people were sitting in the chairs. And so every time the boat would roll, the entire cafeteria would go doo -doo 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 -doo, over to the end of the rope. And then you'd, you'd tilt the other way and you'd feel your chair starting to go and it would go this way and fetch up on the, on the lock in there. You know, we were kind of we going across this way and every time the boat would roll, the curtains that were supposed to be hanging this way, as the boat would roll, they would come out from the, you know, as the boat would roll, they'd come out from the window like this. And this was going on. And of course, there were some people that were just chowing down their breakfast and totally oblivious to it. There were other people that were having a terrible time. And Dr. Mitchell was one of those. In fact, I remember the moment when he had six motion sickness bags sitting on top of the table that he'd filled and he'd folded the little tab down and they were sitting there and I was having a great time laughing at him and I just was a 
cocky and thinking everything was good, and he was having a hard time. But when he, on the seventh time, threw his false teeth into the seventh bag, and he had to reach in and try to find, I lost it then, and I was a mess the rest of the trip. I was too, too sick to care whether we floated or, or sank, I don't know. It's not true of this passage, and we're going to read a passage that you probably could almost quote. And, and the guys that are in this particular passage, these guys did not get seasick. They weren't easily scared. These guys could handle seas that would make a grown man cry like a baby. But this particular day, they kind of came to the end of themselves. And I think what is powerful about this passage and significant about it is, you know, you've heard people talk about uh, relating life to a sea. You know, they, they speak of the storms of the sea of life. Or they talk about, you know, you're passing through deep water, or it's smooth sailing, or life is a voyage. I mean, we're used to that analogy, and I think it's the reason that this passage kind of lives in a special way, because we all can relate to this, even though we might never have filled a motion sickness bag on the Bay of Fundy, we all can relate to feeling like we're in over our head in a certain circumstance. And we pick up this reading in Mark chapter 4. You could find it in any of the Gospels, but we're in the Mark passage, chapter 4, the 35th verse. That day when evening came, he, being Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher... Don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And of course, we have this graphic story of life as it is compared to life as we wish it would be, life as it ought to be in our mind. And it raises a bunch of powerful questions. It's not the only passage that does this. There's a lot of times in Scripture that these kinds of questions are raised, like questions like, what is God's role in situations that frighten us or discourage us? Or questions like, does God really hear and answer the prayers of his people? Or does God care when the sea of life that we're traveling on uh, is threatening to, to take us down? I want you to think about some of those things today because maybe you haven't noticed, but I've noticed that God doesn't always seem to answer my prayers the way I wish he did. He doesn't do everything in the timing that I'd prefer. He doesn't respond sometimes, perhaps more than sometimes. He doesn't respond in the way that I wish he would. Sometimes, maybe you've noticed that weeks can go by and months can go by and years can go by before we see the fulfillment of some purpose in our life. Sometimes God's in the process of saying no. Sometimes he's saying wait. What's more frustrating than either of those answers is when it feels like he isn't saying anything at all. It seems as if he is asleep or oblivious to what's going on 
in our life. And of course, what makes that situation all the more frustrating is when, is when some well-meaning person or preacher or somebody comes along and suggests wrongly, I believe, that if you just bring your request to him, if you have enough faith, if you bring it to him with the right attitude of heart, if you pray it with the right words in the prayer, if you just kind of follow the right recipe, that God will respond. They will speak of the fact that as you began to pray your prayer, before the prayer even left your lips, already the answer was on the way. It has already been accomplished that God will solve the problem. He's going to answer the prayer. He's going to respond in the way that you need him to respond to you. And, and the crazy thing is, as I look back on my years of, of walking this journey, is, is sometimes that is how it happens. I mean, I think... It's all, I think the fact that God, that I've seen God respond that quickly and that miraculously sometimes, that almost messes me up more than the times that he doesn't respond in the way that I wish he would. The, the, the man that designed this building, the, the architect, a guy by the name of Homer McKnight, stood right here and told the story of his daughter who was a teacher and an intelligent girl that just lost her health and she was deteriorating and they couldn't find any answers. And after months and months of losing her health, she was, she was laying on the floor of, of Homer's kitchen in his, in his house and they had a mattress on the floor. And she was so debilitated in her health that she's laying on the floor and, and they were just trying to get along in life and, 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 and keep on trusting. And they had prayed and cried and and anyway, this particular day, a knock comes on the door, and there's a young girl there that they'd never met before. And the girl said, God told me to come to your house and pray for your daughter. And Homer says, well, we had prayed so much. I mean, what else were we to do? We, we, we were game for more. And he opened the door and brought her in, and she went over and knelt beside his daughter and prayed a very simple prayer of faith, very similar to other prayers that have been prayed for her. And he said that when she prayed, he said the weirdest thing happened because he said the window, it was a hot summer afternoon. He said the windows of the house were open. And he said as she prayed, it was like this breeze blew into the house and blew through the house. And he said instantaneously, he said, my daughter jumped off, off of that pallet and she said, I'm healed. And she ran up the stairs and ran down the stairs and up the stairs and down the stairs. And he said, from that moment, she was instantaneously restored to health. And I, and I you know, I, I love that. I love that. And, and we believe that God can do that. The, the frustrating thing is that there's so little pattern to that sometimes. Sometimes our prayers seem to go unanswered. Sometimes it seems like God's will is not the same as our will. Jesus struggled with this. You've probably already been thinking about Jesus in the garden saying, you know, Lord, never, you know, if, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And God's will proved to be that Jesus would suffer and bleed and died. And some of you theologians might already be thinking, yeah, well, that, that's true, because he suffered so we wouldn't have to suffer. He took the stripes so we could be healed. That, that's, that's the way it works, that, 
that he stepped into our place so that we can be saved out of all this thing. And then you kind of have to, have to balance the, the benefits of the atonement, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You've got to kind of put that up beside Jesus saying that the servant is not greater than the master. You've got to kind of work that into Paul the apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, speaking about the sufferings of Christ flowing over into our lives and him speaking about how God will use the sufferings we experience so that we can encourage other people who are suffering in the same way with the way in which God has helped us. He even speaks in that amazing first chapter of 2 Corinthians of how he was, he, was, he was discouraged beyond his ability to endure, and he said, I felt the sentence of death. James Dobson also said in that particular book, we serve the Lord not because he dances to our tune, but because of his preeminence in our lives. And I was thinking about that as I was singing those, those songs this morning, about orienting our life around the ways of God, about being the kind of person who, who sets up a long-standing journey with the Lord that kind of Put yourself in a position where the scripture talks about our roots growing deep down into the soil of his love. You kind of you get in that long series of, of trying to be obedient to God and trying to listen to him and trying to put his word into your life and trying to, to respond and think and, 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 and live Christianly, live, live in a godly way so that, that in the midst of that, his his presence can become preeminent in our lives, even in those places where he doesn't appear to be answering our prayers the way we wish he would. And so uh, the story of Jesus calming the storm, it's in Matthew and, and Mark and Luke. It's familiar. It's famous, I think, because it's so reflective of our lives. We know that storms come. We know that somebody quoted this to me just uh, two days ago as we were talking about these kinds of things, that the rain falls on. It does. We know it happens. And you, you, you got you to gotta say that phrase, and you got to also add the phrase, it never rains, but it pours, right? I, th I think of my, my friend in Moncton who had his, uh, his, his dream job in aviation, and, and, and he just was... He was just loving what he was doing. And then through a series of events, he lost that job and he had to settle for working in a, box, a big box store behind the counter. He's trying to get his head around that. His, his dreams seem like they're smashed. And then his beautiful wife gets terminal cancer and then she eventually passes away. And I think, you know, wow, there are, there are pathways in our life that when you try to integrate God and his ability to to step in, you try to work that in. Sometimes it's difficult to kind of make sense of it all. And I want to suggest three things from this very familiar story. And the first is this, that I think you might be sent into a storm. You might be sent into a storm. Jesus initiated this trip. I mean, it was Jesus' idea. He's, it was his command. We're going over to the other side. <coughs> These guys have been hanging out with Jesus just a little while. And this was all kind of new. I mean, it was a tidal wave of popularity. Jesus is going around, people are hanging on his every word, he's speaking, and hundreds or thousands of people are, are listening to him. They were caught up in this whirlwind, 
So when he said, get in the boat, they did just what he said. I mean, they weren't thinking of the implications. But for Jesus, I believe it wasn't just about going to the other side of the lake. There was something much bigger going on there. And I want you just to stop and recognize there's always something much bigger going on. There's always something much bigger going on. When, when, when your life is unfolding, when you, when you get up tomorrow morning, when things begin to unroll and, and, and unravel and, and life begins to have its way with you, there's always something bigger going on. When you decide to live as a Christian and you begin to understand that, that you're not just body, you're also spirit, and you uh, move into that realization, you've got to accompany that with a belief that God's always working. He's always at work. It may be about you. What he's doing in your life may be about you. It may have nothing to do with you. It may be about someone else. It might even be about someone else that you'll never meet or never know. But God's always working, and, and you're a part of the plan. God's always up to something. He and these guys weren't just on a journey to the other side of the lake. Jesus was taking them on a journey to the other side of their understanding. He was doing something new in their lives. He knew full well what was ahead, I believe. If the disciples had known what was ahead, they wouldn't have gotten in the boat. But Jesus took them with him. Says that, that they were going to go over to the other side of the lake. That, that same phrase is a famous verse in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. It says, when you go through the deep waters, that's the same phrase, they were going they were going over to the other side of the lake. It's the same word for going through. When you go through the deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you'll not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. They were unaware of what they were about to face, but Jesus knew. And when I think of that story and think about, you know, try to visualize them in the boat on the lake, and I've never been to the Holy Land, and I've never sailed on the Lake of Galilee and experienced some of that to kind of help visualize it. But I always think if Jesus had just done the master and commander kind of thing, you know, when they woke him up, shorten the main sheet and batten down the hatches and tie up the thingamajig or whatever, you know, like if he just kind of stepped up there and he's got the sou'wester on and the, you know, the, the wind is blowing his hair back and the, the, the rain is dripping off of his beard and he's in the bow of the boat and he's just speaking commands and you know, he's kind of taking them through. It would have been such a, a more awesome picture. But he was sleeping. <laughs> Jesus was asleep. I, I think it's, a, I don't know, I, I I don't know how it figures into, into it. Jesus was physically exhausted. He'd been doing all this. Jesus was as much, how do they say it? He was as much man as if he'd never been God. He was as much God as if he'd never been man. I mean, Jesus' humanity was forcing him to collapse in the back of the boat and, 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 and his weariness, you know? There's one thing to be physically tired. You've experienced that, and you've had times when you've been like spiritually and emotionally drained. And Jesus was experiencing that too. So here they're out on the lake and after all the exhilaration of what had been going on, the sea goes from calm to chaos. I mean, it just boils up. YouTube's probably the only real point of reference we have on this, you know? You've seen some of the pictures of the ferry to, Grant, to, uh, to Newfoundland, you know? You've seen some of those? I mean, uh, 
we have a hard time relating to that. I was reading that <clears throat> the Edmund Fitzgerald, right? Famous Canadian ship that sang, sank. Uh, it sank in Lake Superior in 30-foot waves. I was out bobbing around on Long Reach yesterday thinking about trying to get my head around 30-foot waves. And they say the Sea of Galilee is prone to this. You know, the geography there, you've got the mountains of Lebanon in the north, and you've got the, the, the cool breeze from the Mediterranean blowing over, and, and on, the, on the Lake of Galilee, it meets the, the hot air from, from the other side, from the desert side, and it's just like a, you know, it's, it's a perfect recipe for, for brutal weather. And, and, and the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and seven miles wide. My only point of reference, again, is the St. John River on Long Reach that's a mile wide, and I'm thinking... It's seven times further and 13, you know, like it's a big piece of water. And they say the waves there could be, it's not uncommon for there to be 20 foot waves. But as expected as rough weather is for these guys, here's the point. They weren't ready for it. They were not ready for it. That, that even though they knew rough weather could come, they weren't prepared for what they faced. And I want to say to you that even though all of us that are rational consider today and say, you know, we, don't, we really don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, as much as we try to get our head around that, we, we are not emotionally ready for the bad days that come. We know that accidents can happen. We know that sickness can happen. We know that people can die, but we have kind of this built-in kind of sense. Those of us that are, that are emotionally healthy most of the time have this built-in sense that, uh, well, it's, you know, it's probably not going to be me or somebody that I love, and, and even if it is, it's going to work out. We, as much as we mentally know bad things happen, we never think it's going to be today. And I think that's why they panicked, because they weren't thinking that they were going to face this, and suddenly they did. And that is the reality that makes living such a killer, I want to say to you. That, that, the, that, the, that the waves can boil up so quickly in our lives. One minute the sun is shining in your life, and the next minute, man, the heavens are open, and it's pouring. I heard David Crabtree preach on this a number of years ago, and uh, as many times as I'd read this story, I'd never picked up on that little phrase, and there were other boats with him. And, and David Crabtree preached on, on that little phrase that, the disciples thought they were the only ones in hot water, but they weren't. There were other boats out there. That when you are facing rough seas in your life and you're, you know, your life is coming unglued, you have the feeling that you're the only one dealing with that. <clears throat> but the truth is there's other boats on the water. There's other people that are, that are caught in the storm, that fear is universal. Sometimes people feel like when they're afraid, when they're at wit's end, when they are when they are in the grip of debilitating fear, they, they think that there's something uniquely uh, wrong with them, that they've been singled out for that, that maybe God's punishing them, or there's some kind of mental weakness in their spirit that they could be, be, be caving into this. They think that, that fear and anxiety is, 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 is such a lonely journey for them, and indeed it is, but you ought to get from this passage, if you get nothing else, that you're not the only one, that, 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 that there are other ships out there, there are other people that are dealing with that. And so in the midst of this situation, the disciples, I mean, I don't know what they've been doing. They've been rowing and they've been sailing and they've been changing the, the, the cargo on the ship and adjusting and trying to 
you know, point the ship in the right direction and doing all the things that they knew to do, which is what we all do when we're facing tough times. They've been doing that. And finally, they get to the point that they realize that, that, that they're in, in really big trouble. And they turn to Jesus, who Mark's gospel said was asleep on a pillow in the stern of the boat. And, and Luke's, Luke's account, the disciples come to him and they say, Master, we're all going to drown. It sounds kind of antiseptic, really. Master, we're all going to drown. Matthew says that the disciples screamed, Lord, save us! But I like Mark's account because Mark kind of insightfully adds that they said, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Probably all those things happened. But the disciples, the, 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 the tough thing was the disciples didn't know what Jesus could do, but they knew he could do something. Don't you care? I think that's one of the tough things about being at wit's end. That's why I started with that quote from Dobson. I mean, it's, it's what I think, for example, mental health uh, pits that people get, that we get into, these valleys that we walk through, or, or a journey of debilitating disease, or whatever, whatever it may be. There, in many ways, I know it must, be, it must be excruciating for someone who has no thought of God, who doesn't have any ability to think that God might be at work, or there's got to be something going on here, or I know God, I'm in God's hands, or whatever normal Christian people think. But it is true that when you believe you are in God's hands and nothing's happening, it, it, it's a uniquely difficult situation. Lord, don't you care if this is happening? They... they, they uh, Martin Luther sang, my 91-year-old friend was singing, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And Martin Luther, the guy that wrote that, was also subject to extreme depression. And he said this, Luther said, the content of the depression was always the same. It was the loss of faith that God is good and the loss of faith that he is good to me. And it's a bit of a theme, really. Moses walked that journey, and Elijah walked that journey, and Job walked that journey, and Jeremiah walked that journey, and, and Paul speaks about it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I was with you in weakness and in much fear and in much trembling. Jesus used the phrase to describe to his disciples what he was feeling in Gethsemane. He said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And they say that mental health, you know, that, that the angst of the soul is more debilitating, more, more physically and socially debilitating than many other diseases. And if you've kind of walked that, you, you, you understand that. Studies have shown that, uh, that, that people who have suffered both cancer and mental illness say that, they, that their emotional illness caused them greater pain than their cancer. So, enough of that. You might be sent into a storm. I believe it. Jesus knew. This, there, was, there was a plan in this. But secondly, 
You've got to realize that God's got this. It's, it's indelibly in the story. I mean, it's the heart of the story. It went from calm to chaos, and then suddenly things changed from panic to peace. I mean, Jesus responds, and he steps up, and the scripture says that he rebukes the wind and the waves. Rebuke is a powerful word. Have you ever had anybody rebuke you? It's a powerful word. Jesus gets to the other side of the lake, and it says that he rebuked the demon. You read on there. I don't know, the fact that he rebuked the wind and the waves, I don't know whether that means that, that the devil was behind the storm. Are we supposed to conclude that? That Jesus was dealing with the dark forces and the forces of evil and that he steps up there and the storm that was raging was caused by Satan and Jesus rebuked it and it settled down. I don't know. I don't know if that's what that means. I, I know that, 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 that some people are really, really, really afraid of storms. I had a Labrador retriever that was that way. Right? Man, the lightning would crash, and whoosh, he's right here. And, and maybe you were this way as a kid, or maybe you've got children, you know, that, that when the storm, when the thunder lightning is happening, they want to be in your bed. I, I heard uh, Dave Stone, the pastor of the great Louisville Christian Church, talk about traveling and he had been away for a couple of weeks, and he comes home, and he flies into the airport, gets in his car, drives home, and it's a stormy, stormy night. He gets home in the middle of the night, and he's been away, and he's tired, and he drives in the driveway, he come, climbs the stairs, and gets up, and he's looking forward to getting in bed with his wife, and the kids are in bed with his wife, right? So he goes, you know, uh, so he goes down the stairs, and he crashes on the couch, and the next morning he tells the kids, you know, come on, you know, I, Daddy's coming home, and he's looking forward to being in his own bed. You guys can't be sleeping with mommy, you know. Next time daddy's away, make sure you, you don't do that, you know. So a few weeks later, or months later, he's traveling again, and he flies into the airport, and the family comes to meet him. And his wife and the kids are coming down the concourse to meet dad, and, and the little four-year-old steps ahead and hollers out in the concourse, Daddy, Daddy, I've got a surprise for you. And, the, and Dave goes, what's the surprise? And the little four-year-old goes, the whole time you were away, nobody slept with mommy. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing, though. There's something about in a storm, you know, sensing that someone's with you, that you're there. Like, it, it does change the game. And I don't know what... I don't know what the worst storm you've been through is. I mean, if, if you've been through some nasty ones, you're thinking about them this morning. I know you are. Or maybe you can imagine what would be the worst storm for you. Because they come. Might be a doctor saying, we need to talk. Might be a daughter saying, mom, I'm pregnant. Might be a son saying, dad, I've done something really, really bad. I, I don't know. But I do know this. Hope you don't miss this this morning. I don't, I don't know what a storm is to you, but I do know this, that a storm to you is not a storm to Jesus. I'm going to say it again. A storm to me is not a storm to Jesus. Storms may catch us by surprise. They don't catch Jesus by surprise. And in this situation, the chaos becomes calm and the panic turns to peace. It's freaky, really. Jesus rebukes the wind and the wind stops, which is weird enough as it is, but 
the impact of Scripture seems to be that not only did the wind stop, the waves quit. I mean, there's this, this, there's this instantaneous miracle. There's no residual evidence of the former condition. And I'm back to my struggle of faith saying, man, because I know God can do that, why doesn't he always do that? My friend Paulette was instantaneously healed of a long-term debilitating back issue. A couple of my buddies went over and prayed for her, and they went as many people had done. And they went home, and the next morning, she, gets, she went to bed that night, she gets up that morning, and the cat spills, spills the cat food on the floor, and she bends over and starts picking up the cat food. She gets down on the floor and she says, hold it, I'm not supposed to be able to do this. And she's like, healed. And then there's my friend Bill that had a similar back problem and he prayed about it and struggled with it for a couple of years and he had to take early retirement because he just, it was there. That's, that's the weirdness of it. My friend Albert, he comes to the Lord and he's instantaneously healed of his addiction to alcohol. Can't stand it. He just delivered instantly. And my friend Jim... He's hoping and believing for the same help from God over his addiction to, to nicotine. And he said, the week after he became a Christian, he said, nicotine smelled better than it did the week before. <laughs> and he said, it was like God said to him, Jim, is the rest of your life, every time you smell that smell and realize how much you like the smell of it, you're going to remember what you've given up for me. And he was never really, it was never really taken away from him. I mean, the ultimate in Scripture is John, you know, John the Baptist is in prison preparing to lose his head, sending a message to Jesus saying, uh, are you the one we were expecting or should we expect someone else? Like John the Baptist is in this struggle of faith and Jesus responds to him sort of, but he doesn't get him out of prison and he doesn't save his head. But in this situation, I mean, bam, it's, a, it's this miraculous change. And I, I, my last thing to you this morning is this, that when that happened, something not only changed in the sea, something changed in the heart of the disciples. They went from fear to fear. You've got to go from fear to fear. You've got to go from fear of the storm to fear of God. The psalmist says, you can finish it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's an acknowledgement of God. The, the, the fear of the Lord is this acknowledgement of God's rightful place and his, his, that he's worthy of respect, that, 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 that we're going to, to trust him. It's a rightful regard for his place and his power. And Jesus chastises the disciples in the situation. It's, it's not that they didn't have any fear of God. I'm sure they had a fear of God, but they had a greater fear of the storm than they had of God. Jesus said, if I wasn't with you in the boat, you probably would have had reason to be afraid. But why were you afraid, O ye of little faith? What came back to me thinking about this was nights when I would leave the Moncton Hospital when my daughter was in chemo treatments there. And I would leave that hospital in the wee hours of the night week after week after week, and I would get in the car and uh, I would turn on the Christian radio station. And God would uh, just kind of press 
some song into my spirit. And I would walk out of the hospital, you know, like overwhelmed and overcome with what was going on in our world. And then on the 20-minute drive home, God would restore me with a, with a realization that he had not abandoned us, that he was at work. That's what I'm talking about, going from fear of the circumstance to fear of God. And we see this change in the disciples. I mean, they'd already witnessed God's power. They'd witnessed healings, I'm sure, but this was something different. From this point on, I think they looked at Jesus differently. It was a turning point in their lives. This, this was, there was something majestic. There was something fearful about this. I, I read the story about this, uh, this teacher who taught in a, in a tough place in a public school system, inner city school. He had these really rough kids. and Over the summer, he'd had a back injury, and they'd put a, they'd put a cast on his torso, and he had it under his shirt and tie and his sports jacket. The kids didn't know anything had changed. He's going back in the classroom. He's standing over by the window on a hot September morning, and the wind is blowing in the window, and as he's teaching, he keeps blowing his tie up into his face. The kids are having a good time and laughing about it. He never even, he never even stopped. He just reached over to his desk, he grabbed the stapler, pulled his tie down, and boom, 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 stapled the tie to his head. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's kind of what I see going on in this situation. This, this radical awareness steps in that they're dealing with somebody different here, right? It, it, it changed the game. They knew that Jesus was special, but I don't know whether they had related that he was really the man himself. I don't know. They probably could quote the entire Psalms, these guys that had grown up with all the studies that a young Jewish boy had. I, I don't know whether Psalm 65, 5 came to them when they said about God, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth, and of the Father of seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas and the roar of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. The disciples have been taught that only God did that kind of craziness, and suddenly Jesus did it. There was a moment, there was a change. So begins this radical new awareness of who they're really, really dealing with here. He's Jesus, the God of wonders. They would come to more fully understand this. I know Paul would say of, of this same Jesus in Colossians 1, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. They began to move from a sense that they were hanging out with the celebrity rabbi to the fact that God himself was with him. And I want to say to you as we finish this morning that it's amazing how storms in our lives can awaken us to who God really is. I mean, it's so true. The worst day of your life can become the best day of your life when through your pain you begin to realize that God's there. You've been kind of motoring through life, oblivious to the reality of the presence of God, and suddenly you hit the wall in your finances or your health or your relationships or whatever. You kind of come to the end of yourself, and in the poverty of your situation, in the presence of your own ability to cope, you become newly aware of God's power and God's ability. And you, in fear and amazement, just like the disciples who turned to each other and said, whoa, who is this? 
I believe that when you really hit bottom in your life, when you come to the end of your own resources, you first step into a realization that you're dealing with the God of the universe. When I turned on that radio, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. You know, I'd, I'd lived it, I'd sung it, I'd believed it, I'd prayed it. But it's a different thing, boy, when, the, when you're really, when the waves are crashing for you to move into this deep, settled realization that, that God is there. And it's the greatest question of life, you know, the W5 question. It's not what, it's not why, it's not when, it's not where. The big question of life is who, who is this? Who, who's behind this? And they didn't go to him until they'd rowed themselves to exhaustion, but boy, that's when the real story of their life started. And I want to say to you <clears throat> that I kind of feel sorry for someone who doesn't really have a testimony about that. You say, what do you, what do you mean? Well, I mean, who, you, you got to kind of feel sorry for a, a follower of Jesus who doesn't kind of have some kind of war story personally about, about, man, who is this? Like, about when they woke up to God and, and his ability to be with them in the midst of their fear. It's a, it's a red letter day in your life. When, when, that, when that happens to you, you say, What's the, why does God allow these storms? Why does God allow bad things to happen? I don't know. But I know this, that when, you, when a follower of Jesus is, is passing through that water and they keep on trusting and believing, you move into a new point in your relationship with God. You, you, things, go, things go deeper. And then there's the issue, we're slow learners on this. Like we learn the lesson, we forget it. God has to remind us. It's like that famous internet story of Randy Reed, the welder who falls off a 110-foot water tower in Chicago, and he falls, and he lands, and he lands in a pile of sand at the bottom of the water tower, and he's not hurt. They call the paramedics. I mean, he's okay. They call the paramedics. They put him in the stretcher. Paramedics are carrying him three feet off the ground in the stretcher, and Randy Reed looks up and says famously, guys, be careful. Don't drop me. <laughs> And we're slow learners on that. I mean, you know, God has to keep reminding us that he's up to the challenge. That rough seas can reveal weak knees. That we need to be believing in him and trusting in him. I, I think that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's finest moment, right? The Lutheran pastor who faced the death. He faced death in the Holocaust and the firing squad. And he, was, he thought, this is the morning I die. And he's prepared to die. And and he didn't die. They let him turn around and temporarily go back in. And he said, I, I began to live that day. On the other side of death was when I really began to live. There's something to that. Until you come to the realization and surrender it, you're not really ready to live your life. And that's what I mean when I say I feel sorry for you if you don't have some kind of story or testimony, a few things under your belt to say, wow, that was tough. But God was faithful and God brought me through it. You might be sent into a storm, but you're going to find that God's got this. And the best thing that will happen through that is you will move from fear to fear, fear of what's going on to a deeper, more informed fear of what God, who God is and who he is to you. And it's my wish for you, whether it's in the past or whether it's in the future, we're here today orienting our lives to God and building our belief in his preeminence in our life because he's going to take us through. Lord, we, we thank you for that truth. And we thank you for every evidence that you have revealed to us in our lives that 
that you are good and you're there. And Lord, in those places where you seem to be silent or absent, oh God, that our roots would be so deep that, that we would have schooled ourselves in the ways of God, that we would have listened and learned and, and sought you and, and prayed and grown to the point that even in the storms, Lord, we would take comfort in the fact that God's with us. He's capable. He's able. And we're not just going to the other side of the lake. We're going to a new place by his spirit. He's, he's at work. Something bigger's going on, Lord, and we surrender to your something bigger in our lives today. Help us to do it, Lord, not just here in church, but help us to be ready to do it when the phone rings, when the hammer drops. Oh, God, you're good, and we would not want to do this life without you. We wouldn't want to be on this sea without you in our boat. And we give you the thanks and praise for who you are and who you've been to us and who you will be. In the name of Christ, we pray. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before. 